Good morning. If I could join me in your Bibles in James chapter 3. If you've been with us going through the book of James, this marks the second major division of the book. We suggested that the outline for James is found in chapter 1 and verse 19, where James says we're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. At the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, James describes what it means to be quick to hear. And he says it's more than mere listening. You're to be a doer of the word. It's more than mere ritual because you are to care for orphans and widows and the poor. And it's more than mere orthodoxy because you are to have a life-changing faith that produces fruit in your life. And then in chapter 3, He's going to describe to us what it means to be slow to speak. And the recurring word here is the word tongue. When you visit the doctor, one of the first things he asks you to do after he checks to make sure you have insurance is to stick out your tongue. Because he can tell from your tongue how you're doing physically. And then he puts a thermometer under your tongue because he can tell how you're doing physically. Well, James is a spiritual doctor, and his procedure is no different. He says, if you want to find out how you're doing spiritually, stick out your tongue. And I find this passage to be especially convicting because he starts with me. He says in verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. He starts by addressing teachers and aspiring teachers. Why does he start there? Well, because the only tongue working right now in this room is mine. I can lose a lot of body parts and still preach. But if I lose my tongue, I can't preach anymore. And James says, don't aspire so quickly to be a teacher. Because as a teacher, you're going to have a stricter judgment. Everything I say goes double for me. Now why is that? Well, one reason is because I have more understanding ever taught, you know that you study a lot of things that you never communicate. I study a lot of things. I learn a lot of things. I don't communicate to you, but I get them. Someone asked me a couple weeks ago how church was, and I said, it was great. I said, I understood every word the preacher said. And I do. And as such, I have a stricter judgment. Not only do I understand more, I also have more accountability. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. One of the Nehemiah guys asked me if I still get nervous before I speak, and I said, absolutely. I don't get nervous for the same reason I used to get nervous for. I used to get nervous because I was afraid I would look bad. After 30 years of preaching, I've looked bad so many times. I'm beyond that. 
What I get nervous about is that when I stand up here to preach the Word of God, I am representing the God of the universe. And I told them, if I stop getting nervous, I will quit. Because it's a great responsibility, a great amount of accountability to stand up in front of people and say, thus saith the Lord. And if I'm giving you my opinion and saying, thus saith the Lord, there is one I'm going to have to answer to one day. I have more understanding, more accountability, and, and I have more influence. Like it or not, I'm a role model. If I teach you from the book of James that you're to rejoice when you have trials and I don't rejoice, if I teach you that you're to endure trials and I'm not enduring trials, why should you listen to me? If I fail as a teacher, I'm going to lead a lot of other people in the wrong direction. Great accountability. Great influence. It's a great privilege to teach the Word of God, but it carries with it this heavy weight of responsibility. And if that isn't sobering enough, notice what he says in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. We all, teacher or not, stumble in many ways. And that word stumble means to trip, to lose your balance, to slip up. Someone has said life is strewn with banana peels. And sometimes when we sin, it's premeditated. We plan it. But some of the sins that cause us the greatest heartbreak in life are those times when we slip and are not careful. So James says we all slip in many ways. You say, well, then how do I maintain my balance? How do I keep from stumbling into sin? Well, he tells us in the rest of verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And that word perfect means complete or mature. And he's able to bridle the whole body as well. We think of stumbling as a foot problem. James says, it's a problem with your mouth. The tongue is the key body part in our spiritual walk. The way to stop from stumbling in what you do is to stop stumbling in what you say. If I can keep from stumbling with my tongue, James says, I can keep from stumbling in all those other areas. So you want to find out if a man is mature? Don't look at the size of his Bible. Don't measure the length of his hair. Don't evaluate the style of his clothes. Tell him to stick out his tongue. The mature man is the man who controls his tongue because he is the man who controls the rest of his body. You say, my biggest problem is my feet. They keep taking me places I shouldn't be. My biggest problem is my hands. They keep reaching for the wrong things. My biggest problem is my temper. It keeps exploding at the wrong times. No. Your biggest problem is that muscle in your mouth. 
I've heard people say, I, I have my life pretty much together spiritually, I just have a problem with the things I say. James would say, you're deceiving yourself. Because if you don't have control of the things that you say, you don't have control of the rest of your body. We all stumble in many ways, and James says, if you can control your tongue, you can maintain your balance in the rest of life. You say, well, Dan, don't you think James is exaggerating a little bit? Don't you think when he's pointing to this little piece of muscle in my mouth that... that, uh, you know, that it accomplishes so many things that he's exaggerating. Don't you think he's saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek? How could something so small have such a big impact on my life? Well, James imagines you're going to say that. And so in the next three verses, he gives three illustrations that show that just because something is small doesn't mean it's insignificant. The first is in verse 3. Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Anybody here own horses? Horses are powerful animals. We lived out in the country years ago and the kids were little and I decided they needed a horse because we had all kinds of acres we could put a horse on. So I went out and bought a horse. Made a huge mistake. I should have bought a 20-year-old horse that was well-tamed, instead I bought a yearling. I remember getting that horse and putting a little uh, halter on and a rope on and walking the horse around the barnyard. Well, the horse walked me around the barnyard. When a horse is full-grown, it's somewhere between two and 3,000 pounds. How do you control a horse? Well, trust me, you don't jump on his back and whisper in its ear, turn left at the barn and let's go down to the lake. (laughs) Know how you control a 3,000-pound horse? There's a little four-ounce piece of steel called a bit that fits in in his mouth. And if you control that bit, you control the entire horse. And James is saying, little things aren't insignificant. They control big things. Then he gives a second illustration in verse 4. Look at the ships also, though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. You've got a huge ship out on the ocean and fierce winds are driving it into the rocks. How does the captain control the ship? Well, he controls a very small rudder. And wherever that rudder directs, that ship goes. You see, little things are not insignificant. They control big things. And then James makes his point in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is small, it's about two ounces, but it's not insignificant. It does more than help you chew and help you taste and help you 
swallow. It does more than get the strawberry seeds out of your teeth. It does more than help you enjoy a hard piece of candy by moving it from cheek to cheek. Tongue is small, but it's not insignificant. It does great things. Many nations have been inspired by the tongue. Patrick Henry's words, give me liberty or give me death, inspired the struggling colonies to fight on and secure our national liberty. Adolf Hitler's Nazi army, convinced by his words that they were a master race, set out to take the world. And they were confronted by the flaming words of men like Winston Churchill who said, I can offer you nothing but blood and sweat and tears and toil. We must so conduct ourselves that if the British Empire lasts a thousand years, men will say, this was her finest hour. We will fight you on the beaches, we will fight you in the streets, we will fight you in the houses, and we will never surrender. More recent times, we've been motivated by the words of Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. And by the words of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The tongue is small, soft, wet, often hidden, but it has great power and influence. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. With your tongue, you can unite or divide, caress or cut, wound or heal, crush or comfort, strengthen or destroy. I saw a Peanuts cartoon where Peppermint Patty phones Charlie Brown and says, Marcy and I are about to leave for camp. We're going to be swimming instructors all summer. And then Marcy takes the phone and adds, we just called to say goodbye, Charles. We're going to miss you. We love you. And with a dazed smile on his face, Charlie hung up the phone and his little sister Sally asked, who was that? And he said, it was just a right number. The tongue can do great things. With his tongue, the president can change the course of the nation by declaring war. With the tongue, a judge can change the destiny of an individual by simply saying guilty or not guilty. Your tongue can change the course of your life when you say two simple words, I do. The tongue is small, but it's not insignificant. It can do great things. And then having given two positive illustrations, James comes in with a negative illustration at the end of verse 5 where he says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. An entire forest that takes hundreds of years to grow can be destroyed by a single match or a tiny little ember. Went out to speak one time in North Carolina and I flew into Wilmington. Got off the plane in the middle of the afternoon. It was the most eerie scene I've ever seen. The sky was black and 
ashes, black ashes were falling out of the sky like snow. Because someone with a careless fire had started a forest fire that destroyed thousands of acres of trees. On October 8, 1871, Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern at 8.30 p.m. It led to the famous Chicago fire. 300 people died. 100,000 people were left homeless. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. And in that economy, the damage was estimated at $400 million. It all happened with a small flame. And James is quick to make the application in verse 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire. Your tongue is small, but it has the potential to cause devastating effects. Your tongue is small, but it has the capacity to cause irreparable damage. Ted Kluzinski caught the attention of our nation as the Unabomber. People would receive a package delivered by the postman appearing to be a form of pleasant communication, and then when they would open it, it blew up in their face. I would suggest to you that there are a lot of verbal Unabombers today. People who send out words, send out communication that blow up in someone else's face. Many husbands are unibombers to their wives, sending criticism and put-downs until they break their spirit. Many wives are unibombers to their husbands. Many parents are unibombers to their kids. You'll never amount to anything. And sadly, many kids are unibombers to their parents, speaking with disrespect and dishonor. Many Christians are unibombers to one another. And James says, the tongue is a fire. Whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, must have been deaf. Because words hurt. Hit me with a stick. Hit me with a stone rather than hit me with words because words hurt. And you understand that if you've ever had a parent scold you or a friend gossip about you or a spouse belittle you or you've received a phone call that informs you of the death of a loved one or you've sat in front of a doctor and had him tell you that you've got cancer. Words can hurt. They can be devastating. Heard about a pastor, priest, and rabbi who went on a fishing trip in northern Canada. In the course of the week together, they got really close, so at the end of the week, the priest confessed that he had been unfaithful to his vow of celibacy. Moved by his honesty, the rabbi confessed that he loved bacon. That he often indulged in huge secret plates of bacon and eggs. 
the pastor remained silent. When pressed to reveal his weakness, he said, well, if you insist, I'll tell you. I just love to gossip and I can't wait to get home. Fire, when it's under control, can bring us great warmth and light, but when it's out of control, it can be devastating. And the same is true of your words. A careless word, a nasty rumor, a juicy bit of slander can ruin a person's life. The tongue is a fire. And then James goes on in verse 6 to elaborate more about the tongue. And notice the inclusive words that he uses in the middle of verse 6. It's the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. And it sets on fire the course of our life. Now, when he says your tongue is a world of iniquity, what I think he means is that every type of sin is capable of either being performed by or initiated by the tongue. Scandal, slander, profanity, perjury, falsehood, deception, lies, rumors, blasphemy, obscenity, contention, strife, etc. It is a world of iniquity. everybody in this world was dumb, we would have a hard time communicating, but we would have a lot less sin. Because the tongue is a world of iniquity. It's able to commit all types of evil. And then he adds on top of that, it is that which defiles the entire body. There is nothing else that has such damaging influence over us as our tongues. Jesus said, not that which enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And James says, it defiles the whole man. read recently of a lady who committed suicide in her garage with carbon monoxide. But not only did she die, the carbon monoxide went throughout the house and killed her entire family. That's what the tongue is like. When the tongue is out of control, it defiles the entire person. When my tongue lies, it defiles my entire person because I become a liar. When my tongue gossips, it defiles the entire person because I become a gossip. When my tongue strikes out in anger, it defiles my whole person because I become an angry man. And then he adds, it sets on fire the course of our life. And I think by the course of our life, he means all the avenues that we travel down. It affects every area of our existence. The tongue is able to commit sin in every area of your experience, at home, at school, at work, at church. 
So in verse 6, he is telling us that the tongue is capable of every kind of evil affecting every part of your person in every area of your life. And if that isn't bad enough, notice the phrase at the end of verse 6, and it is set on fire by hell. That word hell is the Greek word Gehenna. Outside of Jerusalem, there was a place called Gehenna. It was a place where everyone in Jerusalem dumped their garbage. And they burned the garbage so there was a fire burning there day and night, day and night, day and night. And when Jesus wanted to talk about hell, he called it Gehenna because it was a living illustration right out the walls of Jerusalem. Because hell is the garbage dump of the universe. And James says the spark that ignites your tongue comes from hell. There is a direct gas line from hell to your tongue. And when your tongue is out of control, it is a tool of Satan. I had a couple in for marriage counseling recently, and he said, I said this, and she said that, and then she said this, and I said that. And I said, well, what happened next? And he said, all hell broke loose. That's biblical. When your tongue gets out of control, It's ignited by hell itself. You ever get in an argument and start talking and you're saying things and you're going, where's that coming from? James tells you where it comes from. An out-of-control tongue is the tool of Satan. Both your response and the damage that it causes is not natural. It's hellish. And I know that's what James is saying here because he goes on to contrast your tongue with nature and showing the difference. Notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. He tells us that nature can be controlled, but your tongue can't. Look at verse 7. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Man can tame all kinds of animals. Flipper, Trigger, Shamu, Lassie, Gentle Ben, Bonzo. But no man can tape his whip and his chair and tame his tongue. Because he says in verse 8, it is a restless evil. Your tongue is a restless evil, it's never fully at rest. One of the ways we tame animals is we try to tire them out so that they will become docile. Can't tire out your tongue because it gets stronger with use. James says it's a restless evil, and when I hear that phrase, I think of going and seeing a lion or a tiger in a cage, and what do they do? They go back and forth and back and forth, and they're stalking back and forth. They are a restless evil hoping the cage will open and they can come out. Your tongue is a restless evil just like that. It's got a cage, these teeth. 
And many times it's inside and it's just stalking back and forth, back and forth, waiting for an opening to come out and to strike. And James says, when it does strike, it is full of deadly poison. It's like a serpent. It's like a poisonous snake that comes out and it bites someone and injects its poison and it spreads and it's difficult to extract. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. How do you offend your brother? With your tongue. Paul said it this way in Romans 3.13. He said, the poison of snakes is under their lips. Your tongue is full of verbal cyanide. Heard about a woman who committed suicide in Los Angeles, jumped into a river. They pulled her out of the river, tried to look for some ID on her, and they found a note. And the note began with the words, they said. Nature can be controlled, but the tongue can't. And then James shows us that nature is consistent, but the tongue isn't. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, These things ought not to be this way. With it we bless our Lord. With the same tongue we curse people who are made in his image. We come in here and sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we go out in the parking lot and somebody cuts us off. We find ourselves cursing someone who is made in his image. James says it shouldn't be that way. Nature's not that way. Look at verse 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Of course not. Look at verse 12. Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Can salt water produce fresh? No. James' point is that nature is consistent. And our tongues ought to be consistent too, but they're not. Now this passage is convicting. He's painted a pretty devastating picture of what your tongue is. And that should be especially sobering given the fact that we talk a lot. The average person says 20,000 words a day. Over the course of a year, you say enough words to fill 132 books 400 pages long. The average person spends 13 years of their life talking. Ladies, a little more. heard about a fellow who was asked, do you resent your wife always getting the last word? And he says, no, I'm just glad when she gets to it. 
or the guy at the hospital who said, my wife was in an accident and broke her jaw, so they brought her in and took an x-ray. It was a motion picture. See, my tongue got me in trouble there. We talk a lot. We talk a lot, and then we read a passage like this that says our tongue is set on fire by hell. Well, I hope you're asking the question, how do I get control of my tongue? How do I change my pattern of speech? We know this passage doesn't really tell us, but I think it's implied. Because in verse 8, it says, no one can tame the tongue. That word translated one is the Greek word anthropos, from which we get our word man. So what he's saying is, no man can tame the tongue. But thankfully, God can. You see, the problem doesn't really lie with that thick piece of muscle in your mouth. The problem is that your tongue is connected to your heart. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth is what fills your heart. And so if you don't have control of your tongue, guess what? You've got a heart problem. And when God gets a hold of your heart, He gets a hold of your tongue. I spent three years in Chicago going to Bible college, and every Monday night I went down to Cook County Jail, and there would be a speaker or a video or something in in a large room, and then we'd break up into groups, and I was assigned to lead a group of about 15 to 20 inmates. I still remember my first visit to Cook County Jail because I was scared to death. And I went in there and we broke into groups and I sat down in my group and and guys came and began to sit down in the circle around me and I remember a guy sat right next to me. He was the most hardened individual I think I've ever seen. I tried to look at him without looking at him and and I realized he was scarred, tattooed, mean, looked like he could just snap me in half if he wanted to. So I sat down in the group and I I began by saying, does anybody have uh, anything to say about the message? And this guy opened his mouth. And he had the most humble, gracious, surrendered tongue I think I've ever heard. And God was teaching me a lesson. Didn't matter where he'd been. Didn't matter what he had done. God had his heart. And because he had his heart, he had his tongue. I love Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his response to seeing the Lord is, he said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And the Lord told his angel to go to the altar the altar where they sacrifice the animals and take a coal off of there, a coal that would have blood dripping down on it. Take that coal and take it and touch Isaiah's mouth. 
And he touched his mouth with the coal off the altar and said, you're forgiven. And then he asked a question. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And God said, go and take this message to this people. He had unclean lips, but he was touched by the coal off the altar with the blood of the sacrifice on it, and it changed his tongue, and he became a messenger for the Lord. You have a choice. You can let your tongue be lit up by the fire of hell, or you can let your tongue be ignited from the fire off the altar of God. And of course, the altar of God today is the place where the Lamb of God was shed for our sins. As we close our service today, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you want to check your spiritual health? Do you want to see if you're spiritually mature? Stick out your tongue. Is your speech such that people know that God controls your heart? Is your speech so loving and kind and gentle and gracious that people recognize the character of God in your voice? As God challenges your heart in those areas today, we're going to stand and worship.